Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I am George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased that to uh, continue a series of conversations that we've started in a series called American Faith, a way of looking at different faith traditions in America and how they find their place in the constellation of religious life in America. And today I have the privilege of welcoming my friend and local colleague here in Dallas, the Reverend Karen Fry. Karen, thank you for being with us. It is my pleasure, George. Great. So uh, to introduce you a bit further, uh, Karen is the co-spiritual director of the uh, Center for Spiritual Living here in Dallas. Uh, she is co-spiritual director uh, with her wife and partner uh, in uh, both personal and, of course, professional life, uh, the uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Petra Weldes. And so uh, the, that's sort of a neat story we were just talking about before the program in that uh, Karen came long after Petra was already here. And after about uh, a year and a half or so of working together, they fell in love and married. And uh, so continue this, this work uh, as a labor of love as well as uh, a labor of work. So uh, Karen, we are uh, colleagues uh, in Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square and have worked together uh, in that interfaith group uh, because Dallas has a really vibrant interfaith uh, clergy uh, and faith community, uh, one that has not been uh, explored uh, tremendously until about the last five years or so. And we've been very grateful to have Thanksgiving Square help to spawn that and uh, uh, to host it. And so you and I have been um, in leadership roles with that group, but uh, the Center for Spiritual Living is uh, probably something that is a bit of a mystery to uh, many people and uh, uh, that would be part of our audience. And so I'd love for you to give us a little bit of a history of uh, what its spiritual tradition is and its place uh, in um, religious life in America. Beautiful. I'd love to. Um, in a, in a, a as well of, and good of a summary as I can, it actually, it's part of a faith tradition, the larger branch of it's called New Thought. Mm -hmm. And it actually uh, spawned in this country uh, some over a hundred years ago. And specifically in New Thought, Center for Spiritual Living teaches and practices something called the science of mind. Um, it was founded by Dr. Ernest Holmes. It's part of the New Thought spiritual tradition, and it's a positive practical spirituality. What it does is it draws from the revelations of both Western and Eastern religion. It draws from the opinions of philosophy, the laws of science, the practices of psychology, and it applies it to the human needs as well as the aspirations of humanity. And that vision that we hold is the aspiration of humanity is this, a, this is a world that works for everyone and a life that works for me. So it's uh, a great thoughts of the ages and the deep mystical yearnings of minds and search for God. And it's a modern approach to faith. 
which can be demonstrated, which can be proven, and which truly does transform one's life. And so we teach and practice the science of mind. Its roots um, are Christian. But like I said, it does take the revelations from the Western and the Eastern main religious traditions. And that would be the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament, and the Bhagavad Gita. So I don't know mm-hmm. that anyone has said this with you before. No. Um, and yeah, in our source text, which is the Science Mind textbook, um, you, you would find it very familiar in that you couldn't turn two pages maximum without seeing and reading and embracing the teachings of Jesus. So we, we have Christian roots. Um, for me, I came from deep Christian roots and still hold those roots, never left those roots. It's an expansion of those roots and especially the teachings of Jesus as it relates to the kingdom of heaven is within, meaning the power is within me. Um, I am that. I am. I am that power. I am that presence. I am it. Um, and that, uh, the big one is it is done unto me as I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you can't, I guess it's, it's challenging. One couldn't really put us in a box, but it's like that golden thread. And, and if one would bring out the, um, the best of the best of the best, and then have teachings uh-huh. and practices, including nature, Mm-hmm. Um, nature's in there through Emerson and Thoreau, um, and especially science. That's why it's called the science of mind and mind is the all thing, the isness, God, spirit, the thing itself. Can we put a science to it? Can we replicate it? Can we duplicate it? Um, so when I listen to you talk about all of that, what I hear is echoes of uh, some other traditions that sprung up around the same time, I would say, in American life. Uh, and, and that is groups like um, the Unitarian Universalists, who similarly uh, would describe the various um, uh, traditions of scriptures in different uh, religions that they would draw upon, the Unity Church, uh, the Mary Baker Eddy's movement, uh, Church of Christ Scientist. Uh, So uh, do do you see yourself sort of in a constellation, in a a sort of community of likeness to a a group that might be categorized more uh, in terms of what maybe transcendentalists or uh, something of that nature? How would you how would you situate uh, CSL? Um, yeah, you did a very good job. Um, new thought. So new thought. Uh, mm-hmm. unity, unity, um, Mary Baker Eddy, the mm-hmm. uh, Christian scientist. Um, mm-hmm. um, there are also independents, but it's under this umbrella. Mm-hmm. I would not put the universal Unitarians in that, although, you know, they're mm-hmm. not far stretched, right? Yes, From, right. And, mm-hmm. and so, yes, we are in that branch of the tree of life called new thought. And if you want your life to change, it's uh, this thought is causal. I get to, I am fully responsible for the causality of my life because God is causal. And so Mm -hmm. there's not two things happening here. There's only Mm -hmm. one, there's no Mm -hmm. duality. And yeah. 
So yes, new thought. We're in. We're we're kissing cousins to all of those that you mentioned. Okay, so then when you think of yourself in relationship to other religious uh, groups in uh, the country, do you find that that you you have a challenge of constantly having to interpret your place in it uh, because you are not specifically a church, uh, but you draw upon Christian tradition, and so you're not really Christian per se. Uh, you may self-identify to some de- degree like that, but others shouldn't put that on you, right? So, uh, so how how would you uh, how would you describe what the lived experience is of being a practitioner of spiritual living uh, in the way you are vis-a-vis other religious traditions? Um, that's a great question, and and I will say that. If you were to ask this of anyone in our movement within our quote denomination, uh, you might get different answers. So, okay. um, uh, so there's the juxtaposition. I think you're asking how is it to be uh, find our place. It's yes. sometimes challenging. Right. Uh, it's overshadowing. It's the yes. you don't belong. Uh, right. It's the oh, but you don't believe what I believe. And I'm like, oh, right. I can go toe to toe with you on the teachings of Jesus, especially from a metaphysical, uh, mystical standpoint, and right. probably, you know, be right there with you and more. So, right. um, um, so that's challenging when someone says, well, you don't believe as me. Well, yes, if we only like in most things, George, we have more similarities than we have differences. Mm-hmm. We, we truly do. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, when Ernest Holmes found this, it was never meant to be quote a religion. We are a teaching and a healing order. Yes. True healings. And that's, and so it was intended for you and anyone else, wherever you are in your faith, wherever mm-hmm. you are in your beliefs to enable you to go deeper and wider mm-hmm. in them. Okay. And so it is, it, it is challenging. Um, um, and I think that would be challenging as we know for anyone in a minority. So we are certainly considered a minority faith-based tradition in this country. Right. But having said that, in all of our traditions, there is a mystical dimension to it that you tap into uh, very deliberately. Some, you know, in in Islam, uh, the Sufi tradition, for instance, would be part of that. Uh, You just mentioned various ways in which Christians, there's also even, uh, you know, very much a a Franciscan mystical tradition uh, among Catholics. Uh, and uh, it, and obviously uh, uh, the Kabbalah in um, in uh, Hebrew uh, in, in Judaism, and so there's there there is a mystical dimension to a lot of our faiths. Uh, but what I find interesting about our work together is that while that may be a very um, core aspect of your identity and person and practice. Uh, nonetheless, you have a very much a passion for social justice and for being uh, actively engaged in seeking to change the structures of injustice that exist in our society. Now, someone might not 
uh, easily line up those two things, right? Because you you might say our, our tradition specializes on the pers- the deeply personal aspects of healing, of relating to uh, the, the the essence of God and of uh, reality being love and these sorts of things, uh, and and yet I find you in the street ready to speak and act on behalf of others for a more just society. Uh, do, do they go hand in hand throughout your movement or is that more Karen than it is uh, the, the movement itself? Um, there are many of us that that goes okay. hand in hand with. Uh, there are some, so it's not specific to Karen, but it's a passion and, um, and again, a lot of it is based on consciousness is causal. So some people go, well, but I'm, I'm being causal in my consciousness as I hold the vision for this world that works for everyone, as I hold the vision for um, everyone has uh, the abundance of the universe and experiences it and gets to um, participate in it. Um, so there are some people that, that that's their calling. I'm also, uh, as we like to say, treat, meaning pray and move our feet. And so mm-hmm. there's also being on the field of that. You know, the truth is, um, I, I am a wave in this ocean, mm-hmm. as are you. And this ocean is God and this, this divine oceanic substance. So you cannot pull me out of the ocean. Try to pull a wave out of the ocean. You can't. Therefore, everything that's taking place in this ocean impacts me, affects me as it does you. So um, uh, I, I, you are me and I am you. I, uh, I, I, um, I love my neighbor as myself. I, I must love me to the fullest extent and I must love you to the fullest extent. And, and therefore, I must stand up with and for you. I don't like standing against anything. Ernest right. said, find me a thousand people that are one person actually, stand me, find me one person that stands for something and against nothing. And I will, and you will find another uh, Jesus. And so, so we really try not to stand against and that language is hard in social justice work. Right, it, it really is because I find that, you know, when, when we find ourselves speaking in a manner of protest or of uh, trying to change uh, the way policing is done, say, or uh, the way um, uh, the judicial system operates, uh, the way, uh, we distribute resources to the schools or whatever the case may be. It, it often sounds like uh, we are standing primarily against those who have the uh, power uh, to uh, effect change, whether because of money or uh, position or uh, elected office or whatever the case, but I think you, you really put your finger on it and, and anyone who is working on these things will be uh, ineffective if they can't articulate the fact that when they are speaking, uh, they are actually speaking on behalf of and for uh, someone who has been deprived of what is their divinely uh, gifted right. Yes. And so, 
uh, what feels like a kind of chronic chirping of, of people who are activists, you might say, or advocates, is really this, this ache in the heart of religious leaders to see that people who are deprived of their full um, creative identity get to have a share and experience it with other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you experience your life as a faith leader in Dallas? Uh, because you have a, um, a, a place at the table in Faith Forward Dallas, uh, but it's only been a few years that we've had this organization. So uh, it, has it been a, a growing uh, sort of enfranchisement that you have felt? Uh, is there still work to be done in that regard? I do believe that it's growing. Um, I do believe that our city is rapidly changing. Hmm. Um, of course, I know like you, we would like for it to change a little faster. But I don't hmm. wanna say change, I actually want it to transform. Change, it can hmm. come and go, transformation is permanent. Right. It's like right. the butterfly, you can't go back to the caterpillar. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, even being embraced by Faith Forward Dallas mm -hmm. and being able to be with colleagues like you and be at the table speaks highly of Dallas. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that the soul is growing um, with Dallas. I think uh, we as faith leaders are, uh, we're no longer focused on, quote, the differences of our faith and what can we collectively do together. And mm -hmm. we're focusing on what we have in common. And I think the right. more we do that in the city as citizens, mm -hmm. um, and to know that there's nothing uh, for the people that feel like they're going to lose something, we've mm -hmm. are, we, we lose it every day. Right. We're losing it every day uh, when the ocean is not healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's being lost every day. Right. Um, I have, I, I, this is not, I'm not an ally um, in order to help raise someone up. I'm an ally because we're, we're so interconnected and entwined that until we, we get this right, right, I'm not living my full best life either. Right, right. So yeah, there, there are, you, you raise a really interesting point about this. The nature of reality is that you have to lose in order to thrive, right? That yeah, Jesus says that, you know, unless you, you know, deny yourself and uh, take up your cross and follow me. And, and there's this sense of unless you, you know, lose your life, you cannot find it, you know, uh, that, uh, and, and yet, and this is one of the dangers I think that we're seeing in American religion right now with the people who have marched on the Capitol and said that this country belongs to us, uh, what they, they, they are playing a zero sum game. Uh, they are fearful of losing and yet not just Christians, but as you said, at the very heart of reality, uh, and this is at the heart of every religious tradition. There is this sense that you cannot just grow and gain uh, for yourself uh, and, and, and thrive. There has to be this reciprocal kind of sense of giving and receiving, right? Yes, and there is a law of cause and effect. At least we yeah. believe that. And um, 
and giving and receiving is actually the same. And that's, and, and to be reciprocal, it's like the tide can't just keep coming in. It must go out. Right. 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 So, uh, where do you think we are in Dallas, Texas right now? Uh, and what, what do you see as the big challenges that the faith community uh, is addressing uh, that uh, we are, are seeking to mobilize for the common good? Um, I would, I would uh, one of our biggest challenges and well, I can't use the word biggest. So some of the challenges is that um, everyone ought to have, no one should be unsheltered. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that words have power, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I try to choose my words carefully. So I don't, I don't choose homelessness. Uh, yes. The unsheltered, that no one yes. should be unsheltered. Everyone nice. should have a roof over their head, food okay. on, on their table, education to the highest level for their mm -hmm. children, um, and, and so we have a ways to go with that, mm -hmm. to be, um, inclusive. I mean, mm -hmm. my goodness, Jesus was the most inclusive person that walked the earth thousands of years ago to be okay. inclusive and to welcome everyone at the table and to do whatever we can so that they have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, we still have uh, much work to do in making it as equitable in this city for people, no matter what the color of their skin there is, no matter what mm -hmm. physical capacity they have, no matter mm -hmm. what socioeconomic stance they have, um, it, it, no matter, no matter, no matter, really. Mm -hmm. um, and and to, to continue to eradicate this notion that there actually is an other anywhere ah, in this city. Right. Like, I mean, and it has to be eradicated in each of us because we come from lineage and lineage of lineage of stuff being made up to say, but you're the other. And it starts in our religions. That's mm -hmm. the issue. The religions have said you're the other. And actually, all of our religions, actually, they're not based on that. They've been misconstrued and mistaught. Right. So, you know, there are in many of our faith traditions, um, there, there are themes about our being chosen, about our being elected, about our being a select or a unique or a, um, a peculiar people unto God. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that uh, the, the things that you're saying here about the there's a shadow side to that beautiful sense of a people believing that God has uh, uniquely come to them in a way that calls them to a certain mission to the world, right? That's a beautiful part of the notion of chosenness. It's not a chosenness to be self-possessed, but a chosenness to be enlightened in such a way that you then carry that word to everyone else who is chosen, you know, it's, uh, it, in a sense. But the shadow side of that chosenness is often that, uh, that feeling that, um, that someone else is other to you, and you can only actually hold your faith if you can distinguish it from someone else who is outside of it. And, and that's the trick, isn't it? How, how do you have your own unique faith tradition 
and cherish it, but not other someone to use your language at the same time. Yes, great point, great point, George. Yeah, and well, I think that yeah. us as individuals, um, I'm watching this with my uh, nine-month-old granddaughter. I didn't have children, but I do have this, I have two granddaughters, but one since birth, right? Right. Uh-huh. And, and I've watched it, and just in the past couple of weeks, you know that how children come in, and I saw the shine start to start to dim. Uh-huh. And I think that um, be ye like little children, right? The master teacher says, mm-hmm. we have to choose ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Like to really holy, and I mean like W-H-O-L-L-Y and H-O-L-L-Y, to wholly love ourselves first. And, mm-hmm. and when we do that and fully accept ourselves and, mm-hmm. and to know ourselves, and I think the more that each of us do this, then the less we project, the less we judge, the less wow. we, we, you know, you're the other. And yeah. I think that's, I found this along the way in my time here in Dallas. I know that that was it mm-hmm. for me. I had not fully chosen me. Yes. Therefore, how could I fully choose you? Right. As, you know, a child or a, we say an individualized expression of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, not an offspring, but an individualized expression. And when, when someone says what you just said, I, I think they often might hear that as a kind of me-ism, a selfishness, or something like that. <clears throat> but, you know, if you frame it with people and say, you know, unless you become self-consciously aware that you are a beloved child uh, and that you deserve to be loved, then your own woundedness can wound others. Your, uh, it's. I don't think it's true that it's just axiomatic that, you know, uh, we, we we talk about how uh, hurt people hurt, you know, or abused people abuse. That's often true, but it's also true that some of the tenderest, most loving uh, people are those who become aware of the fact that they don't deserve to have been abused, to have been hurt. And, uh, and then they become some of the most compassionate and empathetic people. Uh, and so uh, this notion that you're talking about of mindfulness and of, uh, of healing uh, is an important part of being able to love our neighbor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you for making sure that distinction was made. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're so welcome. Well, Karen, it's a delight to uh, serve with you and to learn more about uh, your practitioner uh, work uh, in spiritual living. And uh, thank you for what you mean to our community and uh, in your personal friendship, too. Thank you, George. All right. It's so Take great. Take care. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.